0: I'm going to take a few moments to pray, we'll ask God's blessing on our time, and then we will dig on in to our Bible study tonight. So, Father, thank you for uh, just the opportunity to gather. Thank you for the opportunity to spend time together, share life together. Thank you for your presence in all of this. We ask tonight that you would bring wisdom, understanding, insight, revelation. We pray, Father, that we would be able to receive of you uh, tonight. And I, and I ask you that you would anoint the teaching I pray that we would have ears to hear, and I pray, Father, you be glorified through what we do. I pray also for challenge into our lives and maybe some change of perspective, some change of attitude tonight, uh, some change of way of seeing things, God. I just give you thanks. Uh, have your way. If we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's open up to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Luke chapter 17, and I need a volunteer... Willing to read verse ten. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, "We are unworthy servants; we have only done our duty." All right. Thanks for reading that. You read the verses up above that. Uh, kind of an interesting discussion is taking place here, where Jesus is teaching, and he starts the chapter there, talking about forgiveness and the whole idea behind forgiveness and how. Uh, we're called to forgive, and and he, he really begins by just saying, well, offenses are going to come your way. There's going to be things that are going to happen in your life. There's going to be offenses that are going to come your way. There's going to be challenges that are going to come your way. Uh, there's going to be challenges to your faith that are going to come your way. There's going to be all kinds of stuff that you're going to face in life. And I find that verse comforting uh, only because I, I I don't like to think of myself as being the one that just has bad luck, Right? because I'm the the one Christian that has a hard time or something. But really, Jesus said we're all going to have some hard times. Jesus said we're all going to face some difficulties. Jesus said we're all going to be challenged in our faith. We're all going to be challenged in uh, what we believe, our sensibilities, those kind of things. And so, offenses are going to come. And so uh, the real question becomes, and, and I believe that's what Jesus is speaking toward here, the real question becomes like, what do you do about it? How do you handle that? What kind of response do you give? And and so he begins to talk about the whole idea of forgiveness. And he says, if, some, if you face offense, he says, like, well, go ahead and rebuke your brother. What does rebuke mean? Like, well, it just means tell him he's wrong. And... And, and if he asks for forgiveness, forgive him. And then he goes on beyond that. He's like, all right, well, that seems really gracious to most of us. <clears throat> Is that we go ahead and we tell somebody, hey, you done, you did me dirty on this, um, and they say, oh yeah, yeah, I did. I'm sorry. And so you forgive him. That's a lot of grace. But then Jesus goes on. He's like, yeah, okay. Well, up to seven times, if he does that in a day, just forgive him seven times which is completely ridiculous because if you think about that how ridiculous that is here's why it's ridiculous if somebody does you dirty and you confront them and you say hey you did me wrong and they look at you and they're like oh yeah you're right would you forgive me uh sure i forgive you but then two hours later they come back and they do you dirty again right and you're like hey you did me dirty again Oh, yeah, you're right. Did you forgive me? You're like, okay. But think about that seven times. Seven times. By the seventh time, do you think they know they're about to do you dirty before they do you dirty? Seriously? And if you confront them and they say, Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? What did Jesus say to do? Forgive them. Okay, you know what that makes you Officially? bonafide sucker that's right that's exactly correct and and that's exactly what he's saying here i mean it, it's so funny like you know, we look at this and, and they're saying well you know it says in another place 70 times seven you can't even make it to seven forget about the 70 times seven all right we don't make it to seven somebody does you dirty once you give him another shot at you okay well, you're a nice person. How about the, the third time? Yeah. How about the fourth time? How about the fifth time? How about the sixth time? If you're waiting around for the seventh time, you are a sucker. But that's what Jesus called you to be. And so then He starts this teaching that we have here. All right. So He He, he says, all right, seven, seven times in the, in the day. And so they looked at him, you know what the disciples' response to that was. His call to be suckers? Increase our faith. You know what Jesus' response to was that? To the request to increase our faith? You can read it, but what's he really saying there? You know what he says there? He's like, you got enough faith. I <laughs> don't need to increase your faith. You have enough faith. That was his response. So, so really, the issue isn't increase my faith. That wasn't the issue. The issue with the disciples wasn't they needed more faith. That wasn't. it. But there definitely was some things that needed to change in the way they were seeing things. They were changed in the way that they were understanding things. The perspective, the way they were going about, going about life. And so he was challenging that. So we get down to verse ten. And we see an accommodation here to the application to the disciples, and and he he makes the example. He's like, yeah, I mean, if you got uh, if you got somebody that's out plowing your field, I mean, they're just supposed to be plowing the field, right? Yeah. If you got somebody that that's working for you, well, they're just supposed to be working for you. If they're guarding your sheep or watching your sheep, well, they're, they're being shepherds and that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. And so they're, you hire them, that's what they do, and that's it. I mean, there's no need to um, have any other type of a relationship with them except for the fact that they're plowmen or shepherds or whatever else that they're doing for you. And then Jesus looked at His disciples and says, in the same way. In the same way. In the same way. When you obey, talking to his disciples. And then he goes into what was just read. So you've got to read all that in 1 through 9, verses 1 through 9, looking at that like what was happening. What's he saying? He, he gets into this whole forgiveness thing. And then he, he gets into this whole sucker thing. Go, go beyond forgiveness to be a real sucker. And then they're like trying to think, all right, well, we, I ain't going to do that. I need more faith. You don't need more faith. You got enough faith. That's what Jesus tells them. He's like, I'm telling you who to be. That's what Jesus is telling them. I'm telling you this is your job. I'm telling you this is what I expect of you. I'm telling you that this is something that you need to do in your life. No excuses. There is nothing else to be said about this. This is what He expects from our lives. Period. In the same way, as you expect the plowman to plow, you expect the shepherd to look after your sheep, in the same way, this is what he expects of us. Now, I could make that nicer for you, but he didn't make it any nicer. I could make that softer for you, but he didn't make that any softer. That's a pretty hard line, right? That's a pretty hard line say, in the same way the plowman plows, in the same way the shepherd watches sheep, this is who you are. The Christian is a sucker. That's it. In the same way. And so that is his expectation. When, not if, when we obey. Yeah, there's no if there. He says, in the same way, when you obey, this is how it's going to be. This is the way it's going to happen. So let's look at the, the attitude we're looking at here. I have a few things I'll share with you about this, the way I see it. Uh, first thing it has to do with attitude, and we, we do need some faith. Here's what we need faith in. We need faith in mercy. You need to have some faith in mercy. Uh, God's mercy. You need to have some faith in what it means to live a merciful life. You need to have some faith in some of the things that Jesus talked about when He said, "You've been forgiven, so what are we supposed to do? Forgive, right? And if you don't forgive, what happens? You're not forgiven, right? So we need some kind of faith in His Word. In other words, this is just what Jesus says. This is who Jesus calls to be. This is expectation for our life. And these are the parameters by which He's given us to live. We need some faith in that mercy. So I want mercy. I want mercy. Me, Andy. I want mercy. So if I'm going to have mercy in my life, then I need to do what? I need to show mercy. I understand that. Am I earning it? Nope. Am I somehow bargaining with God for it? No. But if I really have any kind of faith in mercy, then mercy becomes a part of my life. If I have faith in grace, grace becomes a part of my life. If I have any faith in forgiveness, forgiveness becomes a part of my life. If you really believe that God shows you mercy, that God shows you uh, grace, and that God has forgiven you, you will be a forgiving person. Why am I saying that? Because that faith will be reflected through your life if you really believe it. Most of the people I've ever met that have been the biggest jerks as Christians really don't believe that they're forgiven. They don't believe in God's mercy. They don't believe in God's grace. Not really. They'll tell you about it. They can quote Scripture about it. They can go on and on about the theological ramifications of it, but do they experience, live it, it? And dwell in it, the answer is likely, no. And so that in turn reflects through their life, and they're jerks. They're jerks. I had a PTSD moment last night. I was at a place, most of you know where I was at, so I'm not going to really say where I was at, but I was at this place and I was around a bunch of Christians. I'm not usually around a bunch of Christians. And I know I'm not supposed to say stuff like this, so forgive me if you need to. But, but I got around a bunch of Christians in a big Christian setting. And, and it took me back to a bunch of years when I, I first became a Christian. It took me back to a bunch of years when I first started knowing Jesus. And really just trying to figure out what was going on. I didn't have any idea. And so I ended up in a particular church. I ended up among a, a particular group of people. And it was challenging. It was challenging. And it reminded me, just standing there, sitting there, whatever was going on, of that. And uh, of how much I really didn't, didn't like being in that place years ago. It just reminded me. Now, should I have better healing than that? Should Jesus be working in my life better than that? Well, sure. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm not justifying it. I'm not telling you it was the best thing. I'm not telling you it was a good thing. I'm not telling you that it was the best reaction or anything else like that. All I'm telling you is where I was at. And there was a reality to that that just took me back to those moments and some of those people that I knew. There were some of the meanest people I've ever met in my entire life. And I mean mean people. And I began to think about how if we don't live in mercy ourselves, how do we show mercy? If we don't live in grace ourselves, how do we show grace? If we don't live in love, how do we show love? If we don't live in forgiveness, how do we show forgiveness? I don't know. I don't think we do. And I think that's part of the problem. And so, I mean, it would be like what, what Jesus was talking about here. He's like, if you're a plowman, then you go in the field and plow, right? Then that kind of define that? Can you call yourself a plowman and not go in the field and plow? I guess you can call yourself that, but is anybody going to believe you? You, know, you can call yourself a shepherd, but you don't have any sheep. Anybody going to believe you? You're not watching any sheep. You're not out in the field. You don't have any sheep. Anyone going to believe that you're a shepherd? Yeah, no, you can't. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. So so in the same way, what Jesus is saying here, in the same way, take a look around. If you want, when you obey, when you obey, you know, that part I was talking about being a sucker, if you, when you when you're gonna obey that, all right, then you need a certain faith in forgiveness and grace and love and mercy. You have to be living that somehow. You have to be a person that's received that and is living that in order to display that or even claim it. You have to be a shepherd with sheep. You have to be a plowman with a plow in the field. And if you're not, then who's going to ever believe that? Hopefully nobody. They might believe you once, but as soon as you don't show up with a plow... You're not a plowman. Or you don't show up with any sheep. You're not a shepherd. And it becomes obvious at that point. And so just as that's obvious, I think it's really obvious if we're going to be the church and we're going to say, hey, um, let me tell you about the forgiveness of Jesus, but we don't live in that kind of forgiveness. Let me tell you about the mercy of Christ, but we don't live in that kind of mercy. Let me tell you about how Jesus loves, but we don't live in that love. They might believe you once, but you're like that shepherd without any sheep you're like that plowman without a plow and there's really no power no substance to your words those words have to mean something Jesus in another place put it this way he's like if you've been forgiven much you'll love much and that makes sense he was talking about, uh, I went over this, but he was talking about that woman that came into the Pharisee's house and, and how she washed his feet with her tears and wiped his feet with her hair and anointed him with uh, a nice smelling, whatever it was. It was perfume, but we'll call it cologne because it was a guy, Jesus. But anyway, and she anointed him. And, and so the Pharisee got really upset about that because he's being touched in a familiar way by this prostitute. And how he just allowed that to happen. He watched it happen and he allowed that to happen. And he's really upset about that. And, And Jesus' response to that is like, yeah, I came into your house. You didn't wash my feet. I came into your house. You didn't anoint me. I came into your house. You didn't take care of me. But this woman who I don't even know has not ceased to wash my feet with her tears and wipe with her hair and all the rest of that, that she was caring for him. And he made that statement. He's like, if you've been forgiven much, you'll love much. And that's why prostitutes and tax collectors were entering the kingdom before those Pharisees were. That's why. And as I was saying earlier, I was reminded, I was reminded, reminded that I don't want to be around the people that are just offended by that. And that's probably about 95% of the people you know that call themselves believers would be offended by that. So, if we're gonna be people who love, we gotta receive love. We gotta live in it. You have been forgiven much, you're probably gonna love much. You've been shown a lot of grace, you're probably gonna show grace. You've been shown mercy, you're probably gonna show some mercy. But you gotta be willing to receive that. You gotta be willing to accept that. You gotta be willing to live in that. You gotta recognize that you got a need for that. And be willing to receive that if you're ever going to move in that. So in the same way. Kind of interestingly, you know, he talked about forgiveness. He had his disciples there. His disciples. His disciples have been forgiven much. But they didn't realize that. They hadn't seen it. They hadn't really received it yet. Because as soon as he started talking about being a sucker... You know, seven, seven times you're going to forgive somebody the same day? That's what he described there. Seven times in the same day you're going to forgive somebody. You're a sucker. Right. But he's talking to them about being a sucker. They're like, well, increase their faith. He did not need to increase their faith. He's like, you've got plenty of faith. What they needed was an increase in mercy in their lives. They needed to look at Jesus and, and, and discover and realize what a sucker he is for even picking their sorry asses. Right, But they can't see that for calling them. They can't see that for His patience with them. They can't see that for for all that He had been laying out on their behalf for them. The time spent, the teaching, and all the rest of the stuff that was going on in their lives that He was pouring into their lives. They couldn't see any of that. All they could see is what? Seven times. Wow, that make me a sucker. Give me more faith. You got plenty of faith. You just need to understand who you are. You need to understand who Jesus is. You need to receive what Jesus offers and recognize that He's already modeled this for you. He's already done it. It's hard when you want to believe something about yourself. It's hard. Nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. But I will tell you this about God. You think about things that He calls us to do. I mean, just, you know, randomly in the New Testament. Things that He calls us to do, like worship or preaching or teaching or, or benevolence or, you know, whatever. Whatever giving, whatever you want to look at. So, all those things, that, that's what He calls us to do. That's what He tells us to do. It's our duty. All right? That, that's what we're called to do. Forgive? Yep. Love? Yep. Show mercy? Yep. All that stuff. All that stuff. we got to recognize it for what it is. We've got to recognize that, that this is what Jesus told us. This is what we have been instructed in. This is what we've been given to do. And so in the same way that this is what we've been given to do, it's been modeled for us, it's been shown to us, and we've received of those things in our own lives. It's been given to us to do. We need to get about it. And you know what? Nobody owes us anything for that. Nobody owes us a pat on the back for that. Nobody owes us a blessing for that. Nobody owes us anything for that. Nothing. Nothing for that. Because God cannot be in debt to any of us. Or to any of His creation. God is never in debt. Ever. To you. Or me. Or anything in creation. We deserve, deserve, that's the key word, deserve, we deserve no return from him. So what he gives us, which he does, he gives abundantly, that's called love. That's called mercy. That's called grace. That's called him liking us. Yeah. He doesn't owe us. Like, we're not working for God. He had no wages. You know, you go and work at your job, man. They give you wages. I'll tell you, there was a time. There was a time where people would go to work and get paid. Now, I know this sounds crazy. They'd go to work and get paid. And that was enough. Yep. Yeah. Nothing else was required. Because they were doing a job that they contractually agreed to do and their employer would pay them the contractual amount, and that's a good deal. That was the deal. Yeah. See, God doesn't owe us though. He doesn't owe us any wages. He doesn't owe us anything like that. We look at other human beings, and yeah, I mean, we can be in debt to people. We, you know, that's our human relationships. But God's not like that. He's just not. And so we can't look at our, and this has to do with perspective. So we're talking about attitude first. Let's talk about perspective. We can't look at God that way. There's there's no human term to to look at Him that way. And we have to look at each other in a certain way also. And I call the way we need to look at each other is in the same boat. Each other. That we're all in the same boat. And, and there are plenty of people out there that can do things that you can't do and you can probably do things that they can't do. And there's people out there that are nicer than you, that are meaner than you. There's people out there that are more patient than you are or less patient than you are. There's people out there that are more honest than you or less honest than you. We're all in the same boat though. Because... Whether or not we fit one of those categories or or whatever, those comparisons are utterly and completely fruitless that I was just going through. More honest than you? Well, in what way? Are we going to talk about this all night? I don't really care. You're nicer than me. Well, most of the time. Well, what does that even mean? I don't know. I don't know. But who cares? It's a fruitless conversation. It's always been a fruitless conversation. It continues to be a fruitless conversation. All of those conversations where we are comparing, all those conversations where we try to to figure out equitably what is compared to the other person is compared to the other person, they're fruitless. They're absolutely fruitless. You know, we, I, I teach out of, you know, sometimes I teach out, because it's a, it's a justice issue, I teach out of the, the uh, story about the guy who had his vineyard, and he wanted people to work, and so they went out early in the morning, 6 a.m., they hired a guy, come on out, I'll, I'll pay you a denarius. And then at 9 in the morning, went out, hired some more people, I'll give you a denarius. Went out, I'll pay you a fair wage. Went out at noon, I'll pay you a fair wage. When out at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'll pay you a fair wage. Went out at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I'll pay you a fair wage. At 6 o'clock when the day was done, the guys came 12 hours, right? They got the guys that came 12 hours. How much did they get? One. Why? Because they agreed to do that. How much did the guys get that was there for an hour? One denarius. Because why? They agreed that. And then the people grumbled. Well, we've been here for 12 hours. How come we don't get paid more? Well, you agreed to work for that, right? Yeah. This whole idea of comparison is fruitless. And Jesus trying to say that. It's fruitless. You can compare, compare, compare. It never works out. Never. Never. It will never work out. It never looks right. It never works out. And you're always mad. Stop it. You will never be happy. No one that lives their life comparing themselves to other people is ever happy. Because there's always someone better, there's always someone prettier, there's always someone more handsome, there's always someone that's stronger, always somebody that has more money, there's always somebody, somebody somewhere that's better at something that you care about. Whatever it is. And maybe you care about this thing today, and you feel good today, but then you think of something else tomorrow, oh, they're a lot better than me. And then you feel bad again. It's never good enough. That's the problem with that. And so it's fruitless. And in this passage, perspective, it needs to start, at least between us, that we're all in the same boat. Well, I seem to be working more than you. Shut up. You have no idea. You have no idea what that person does. You have no idea what that person does. You have no idea what that person does because you're not with them 24-7. So just hush it up. We don't know. And it's fruitless to try to figure it out anyway. Because we agreed, we're all here, we're in this boat. We hopped in the boat voluntarily. We got in the boat. So, whatever. Whatever. It's like those people, they agreed to their wage, they got in They got in the, the vineyard, just, <laughs> who cares? So we're all voluntarily, we're all in the boat, we're all going about the business. And you know what? Sometimes God might see what you're doing, your work or whatever. Awesome. But he doesn't need your help. You get it? He might bless you too or, or whatever, but it, it's not because you earned it. You follow me? We're not working for wages with him. We're just going about the business. We're going about the stuff. We're going about the work that he has for us. Think about, and he uses a phrase here, the unprofitable the unprofitable servant. Well, we're all unprofitable to God. I'm just letting you know. And, and so being an unprofitable servant is just the way it goes. Because he doesn't need our help. Being an unprofitable servant is the way it goes because he doesn't need us to earn a profit. He doesn't need us to, to do anything. He can do it. He could raise up people, do evangelism from the stones. He he could raise up uh, people to worship him. He could raise up the stones to worship him. He doesn't have to have us do anything. We have a privilege. We have a job. We have a responsibility. We have whatever it is that we have to do. He has spoken. He has commanded. He has said, this is what I have for you to do. Period. That's it. He's not in debt to us at all for that. Let's go about the business in the same way. You're a Christian. Well, get out there and do it if you're a plowman you need to have a plow if you're a shepherd you need to have some sheep in the same way let's get to it let's get to it we're Christians we got different things we got call in life we got obedience in our life we've got all these things going on let's get to it but in uh, there's a parable of the talents in matthew 25. In verse 30, it, it talks about uh, that different servants were given different numbers of pieces of silver. And, and the guy who gave it to him went off and he came back and he said, all right, well, give me an account, what you got. Now, understand, none of that was their money, right? You get that? All right, that was the, the boss man's money. And he just handed it to him, and they're stewards of that. And he's like, all right, go ahead. And, and so one guy had 10... And he made ten, one guy had five and made five. And y'all remember that the poor sucker, that that little guy, he's like he had one piece of silver and he buried it in a hole. And then when the guy came back, he dug it up and he's all happy about it. Here you go. Well, the boss man wasn't very happy about that. He could have at least gotten interest on it with the bankers. He's like, you didn't do anything with what you had. Nothing. But remember, it wasn't their money anyway. And the point wasn't really money-money. The point was actual service. Actual caring about the boss man. Actual caring about what he's placed into your hands and getting it done. That's what that story is about. And any time I've ever taught on that, I, most of the time when I teach on that, it's usually a, a baccalaureate service or some kind of graduation service, something like that. Well I'll take the time to teach on that. But I always emphasize that. It's like, it ain't, your, it ain't yours anyway. You're working with somebody else's. That's their talent of silver. That's their thing that they're entrusting to you. And and what Jesus talks about there is for me and for you to be a trustworthy people. To be a trustworthy person. That when he entrusts us with what? All this that we just get about it. I am an unprofitable servant. Yeah. I'm not down on myself because of that. I just recognize that I'm not in it to make a profit for Jesus. I'm unprofitable because He doesn't need my help. I'm unprofitable because I recognize it's all His anyway. I'm unprofitable because I I just want to just do whatever it is He's called me and told me to do. That's it. And anything beyond that, Anything beyond that. We begin to get ourselves into an area of boasting. And every area of boasting is excluded. It's your duty. You cannot lay claim. There are no personal claims on the grounds of merit. A servant, and, it's, and I'm talking about the truth about it, not what everybody wants to hear. Let's talk about the truth about a servant. We have merited nothing, and God doesn't need our help. That's the truth. That's not depressing. That's not even upsetting. It's just the truth. And we serve a God who doesn't need our help. Pretty good thing, too, because He's God, right? I mean, do you want to serve a God that needs your help? Because as soon as you start serving a God that needs your help, you're kind of moving into the area of the kind of pseudo-gods, like the Greeks had, or the Romans. You start moving into the area of, kind of the, the gods that took on human characteristics and all these other things like that, where there might be something appealing about that to our base nature, but that's not the God that we serve. That's not who He is. And there's something to me very uh, comforting in the fact that God doesn't need my help. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need my help at all. And and so I don't, I don't go about serving Him because He needs my help. And for some of you, that's hard because you have this need to help. I know. You want to help somebody? That's how you've ended up in really bad relationships in the past? Right? No, don't answer that. But that's how you end up in really bad relationships because you get into this thing where you got this need in you. Well, I want to help. Well, don't transfer that to God. He doesn't need your help. Let him be God. Let him go about his business. He'll get it done. With or without you, he's going to get it done. Let him get to it. And so you may have to fight that in your nature. You may have to fight that tendency, Oh, I really want to help. Well, there ain't no help. So what we're left with is we're left with this idea of obedience. We're left with this idea of when we obey which is what He says at the very beginning of this, is He says to them, He's like, in the same way, when you obey... So we're left with that. we got to obey. So what do we have to obey? Whatever He's saying. And I'll tell you what, if you can live in obedience, in the world that we live in, if you can live in obedience to the Holy Spirit, it will keep you out of trouble. Yeah. Because, you know, and I meet people, it's like, well, I'm going to go help that person. Why? Well, they need help. It seems like the Christian thing to do. Okay, well, you're missing the point. Because the idea behind this is we need to be led of the Holy Spirit. The real, the, the real idea behind this is, is we need to obey what the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us to. Well, Andy, didn't He say in general to do these things? Um, did Jesus... Here's a really kind of funny question. Did Jesus help every poor person He saw? I don't know. Do you know? There's times where it says that He healed everyone that came to Him. But did He heal every sick person He ever saw? Because if you think about it, He was around for 30 years before He even started His ministry. you think He saw any sick people during those 30 years? Did He heal them all? We don't have any record of Him healing any of them. None. So for 30 years, he would be around and he'd see all these sick people. In fact, his own father died during that time frame. His father died. Joseph, the human side of it. But he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything about that. So for 30 years, he's standing around. People are sick. People are dying. Even his own father died. All this taking place. Why? Wasn't his time yet. It wasn't his time yet. So he wasn't just running around like a chicken with his head cut off, trying to heal every person he saw, trying to raise every person that died from the dead, and trying to do all these marvelous, wonderful things for the first thirty years of his life. Why? Because it wasn't time. And the Father hadn't released that yet. The Father hadn't sent Him yet. The Holy Spirit hadn't empowered Him yet. None of those things happened. You think about the apostles and how many times they passed certain sick people until one day. You know, they're walking into the temple and they look at the lame beggar that's there every day. Every day. Every day that guy is there. So any day that they had passed that guy, they could have stopped and they could have said, get up, silver and gold, I have none, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Any day they could have done that, but they did it one day. Why? Because that was the day. God said, there He is. And in obedience, they did that thing. And that guy rose up and began to leap around And walked. And so, I'm giving you a couple of counter examples for your brain. Trying, anyway. Of not feeling like, well, Jesus said it. And so, we have to look for every opportunity. Well, you will never get every opportunity. You will never do it. You will never be able to do that. It's ridiculous to think that way. It's childish. But we can... And be effective at being led of the Holy Spirit. We can do that. We can and be effective at obedience. And so we obey. When it's time, we obey. When it's time, we speak. When it's time, we lay hands on. When it's time, we proclaim healing. When it's time, the miraculous happens. It's God's time. It's God's time. And so, I hope you can begin to see why that's important. And, and here's why I think that's important. The reason I think that's important is that it's hard to take credit for that. If you don't initiate it, it's not your idea. It's not your particular timing. It's not in front of a crowd of your choice. It's not among a people of your choice, necessarily. But God says, do this now. How much credit can you take for that? I mean, seriously. How much credit's in that? You know what, like, max credit for that is? That you're a good slave. You do what you're told. That's max credit. And you know what? That's a compliment in the kingdom. That is a compliment in the kingdom. Yeah, I just yeah, God just told me. And I've actually said that before. When people say, hey, that was awesome. Like, yeah, I just God said it was time. That was it. And that's exactly what happens. And so I want to encourage you that there's a reason behind this. That there's a perspective behind this. There's a way of seeing things behind this. There's taking on this role of the servant behind this is that we're not initiating... We're responding to the voice of God. Now is the time. This is the person. Do what I tell you to do. And I just really believe him. It just deep down inside, it's harder to take credit for that. It's more difficult to feel prideful about that. And we need that. Because it keeps us in the place as his disciples where He's going to use us more powerfully. It's a deep humility. And it's real. I mean, we fall short all the time. And it's okay to recognize that. Because if you live in mercy and grace and love and forgiveness, you're not afraid to see that. You're not afraid to see that you fall short. You're not afraid to see that you mess up. You're not afraid to to see that you, you do something wrong. You're just not afraid. It's okay. Uh, Romans 3.23, it says, For all, meaning everybody, everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. Well, God lives in glory, right? And we all fall short of that. So we're all, in a sense, kind of losers with that. We're not going to be able to live up to it ever. There's no, you cannot hit that standard. It's impossible. And I know people hate that. Like I remember, I used preach sermons on holiness, or I'd preach sermons on on different uh, kind of big word concepts of theology, and people get really upset. It's like, well, but you know, you want to get as close as you can. Nope, it's a waste of time. You can't say that. I'm like, I'm saying that. You can't tell people that. I'm telling people that. Because that false sense of of God pride that people get, man, that's a killer. That is a killer for anything that God wants to do. It's a killer for your growth in Jesus. It's a killer for the moving and, and the growing of the kingdom. It's a killer. Stop it. And I can say that, and I will say that. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us who has lived and ever will live and that is alive right now have fallen short of the glory of God and that's all there is to it. Stop. I'm okay with that. Why? Because I'm a firm believer and recipient of God's grace, His mercy, His love, and His forgiveness. Big And I'm going to show that to the people around me. It's my duty. I'm going to teach because it's my duty. I'm going to preach because it's my duty. And I go on, all the things are my duty. I'm going to do those things. I don't need an extra pat on the back for it. I just need to get about it. God doesn't owe me anything for that. I just need to get about it. God doesn't owe you anything for that either. In order for any of this to make any sense to you, if it doesn't write this second, you're going to have to reject from values in your life. Popular Values. Things that people agree on. Everybody knows that. Well, yeah. Everybody knows. Doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's right. As I said a number of weeks ago, I mean, everybody knew the earth was flat for a long time. If you didn't believe the earth was flat, well, you're stupid and everybody believed everybody knew that earth was the center of the solar system they all knew that center of the universe really everybody knew that if you didn't believe that i mean you were in disagreement with science science said i mean it's settled earth is flat earth is center of the solar system universe if you don't believe that you're stupid well of course neither one of those are right But for hundreds of years, if you didn't believe that, you were wrong. Well, sometimes we need to be wrong. And there's some values that are part of our society that are just wrong. And we need to reject that. There's values you've been taught in your family that are wrong. I'm not blaming anybody. I don't think your mom's bad or your dad's bad or anything else. I mean, they may be, but I don't think so because I really don't know. But all I'm saying is there's probably some values in you that are wrong. And they need to be rejected. Jesus, man, He set up some weird stuff here. I mean, He really did. And the disciples didn't get it all at once. They didn't. They didn't understand it all at once. They, They didn't get it all at once. That's why they were like, increase our faith. He got enough faith, uh what do we do now well he he told you, but they didn't get it right then, and you may not get this right now either, but there may come a time and there may come a day where this gets comes around again, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm just doing what God told me to do and and you start to realize that and you start to understand that and find peace in that and rest in that and comfort in that. I'm an unprofitable servant just doing what I'm told. Right? There's a certain amount of peace in that. You're not a superstar. You're not expected to be anything more than an unprofitable servant who does what he's told. That's it. That's it. let me pray for you for a second father i just i pray for us to be filled with mercy and grace tonight and forgiveness because god if anything gets through tonight i pray it's this that we've been forgiven much i've been forgiven much i have been forgiven much and i'm going to love much I pray that we take hold of all the mercy that You poured out into our life and that we love much and show much mercy. I pray that we get a hold of the grace that You continually pour into us, that, God, we can be people just full of grace to people around us. I pray that if You increase our faith about anything, it has to do with how much You love us and forgive us and all that mercy and grace that You have for us, so that we in turn can live that way, can live in it, and it can live through us. So God, I I just ask You that uh, first principles here, that we begin to live more and more deeply, more assuredly in Your love tonight in Your mercy tonight, in Your grace, and in Your forgiveness. So I pray You'd set us free from bitterness, set us free from comparison, set us free from anger, set us free from, from, from some weird self-justice. Just set us free, God. Just to love You and love each other. Thank you Lord Thank you God Thank you Lord I pray for attitude to change and perspective to change. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's hear you by saying amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good, he's really cool, you uh-huh. know? he's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters... You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin, should hook up. Yeah. So yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of the faith community. Like the comunidad. that well, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. Yep. Started in 1997.